What? Okay. That's how it goes. Welcome back to Season 3 of Amongst the Table Podcast. I'm Jonathan Crabtree, one of your hosts, and we believe in sharing Amongst the Table for change amongst the world. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss our next episode. Enjoy today's content. Here we go. I made it on to Bristol from London, St. James. Got a ticket for a train ride, gonna ride it all the way. I think I hear those seagulls calling on my name. That western skies are singing, nothing like the same. Though I'm not from around here, it always feels like home. Bristol might be short-lived, but she sure is home. Welcome back to the Amongst the Table podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Crabtree. Today, I'm joined by someone else. Actually, it's my wife, Christina. She's the other host, or the other person. Christina, say hi. Hi. As you can tell, we've rehearsed <laughs> that very much. We have a script, and we're sticking to it. And the script goes like this. Just what she said. <laughs> Jonathan, please tell us... Wait a second, I haven't even introduced the, the topic. Uh, okay, well, I was trying to go with it, but whatever. Well, today I want to talk about something that's kind of happened in the last couple of months. I'm not really sure how to talk about it. This sounds like I'm setting up for a really bad story, but it's not a bad story. It's just how I'm feeling at the moment. And... Um, and I guess over the summer, um, I felt like, well, over the last year, I've felt, I've felt really out of place in many respects and in many different ways, you know, being moving from pastoral ministry to Ph.D. ministry, I guess, and moving to being with people to being with no people. And I've really missed my sense of... Um, calling and my calling as a pastor that I've been kind of, you know, I've been working for my entire life essentially. And for the Lord to just um, kind of call me out of that into something else, um, you know, I answered, but at the same time, like I just missed that foundational calling as a pastor. And knowing that I can't serve a, ch a, a church right now, um, that's practically impossible and so um, we go to this church in Rist in Bristol you know Woodlands or Woodies as they call it and it's a big church how many campuses do they have six I believe six campuses across the city of Bristol and we go to the main campus which has four services I, I would imagine there's 500 people there every Sunday at least would you think so? Yeah, probably more than that, but yeah. And that's just at the main campus. And you're on staff there as a part, um, as a assistant children's director. Mm -hmm. And I'm on staff there as a professional lay member. <laughs> wow, have the tables have turned. And, uh, and so it feels really odd. I'll, to be honest, it's really hard to worship there. Not because it's not a good church. It's a great church. It's because... 
I always imagine myself leading a church like that. So I sit in the services just about in the same spot every single Sunday. And I just find myself really grieving um, my life as a pastor. But I know that I can't serve a church right now because that's just impractical. I think I've already said that. And so I guess over the summer I really thought about how could I offer myself uh, in service to the church. Uh, that would be both true to this season I'm in and, and also scratch the itch of being a pastor, uh, whatever that means. <laughs> Please continue. Um, anyways, uh, so uh, I've had this kind of phrase, uh, resident theologian, kind of in my, my head for a while, and I wondered if that was something that I could kind of offer the church on a volunteer basis. Uh, I play drums there every once in a while. I'm a substitute drummer, and that's fine and, and fun at times, but I just feel like I have more to offer the church than just playing drums, although apparently I've seemed to help them out whenever they've not had a drummer. I mean, I guess that's good, uh, considering that was the first, well, one of the first few ways I've began serving the church, was playing the drums. Um, so, um, this resident theologian thing. So, I have no idea what it means. <laughs> I'm not paid. I'm not on staff. I don't get my photo on the on the website or anything like that. But I reached out to the lead pastor and had a conversation with him. And he seemed very open to it. And he asked me what I was thinking. So, I thought I'd spend just a few minutes talking about it now. Do you have any questions, Christina? Um, yes, I will try to um, do an impression of Dave asking you a question. Okay. So, Jonathan. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, that was it. <laughs> I was trying to talk like him, but I can't. I can't. I don't have a British accent. No. Um, uh, hey, Jonathan, what to you, what does residents. I don't even forget the title. <laughs> So to you, what does it mean? Well, for the last five and a half minutes that I've been rambling on and you've been rambling on here in the last 30 seconds, I don't think it means much of anything. It does, so. Well, I don't know what it means other than I, um, uh, that's about all I know. Yes, that you can. <laughs> Just say it. So a resident. Well, I'm not saying that. In... No, just resident theologian. Theologian, resident got it. Okay, so for us who don't know what theologian means, what the heck does three three logians? Three logians. Well, it's the Father, Son, Spirit. Okay, Trinitarian. Noted. Okay. I think I think every follower of Jesus is a theologian, and you know we shared this at the Orchard Church back in the summer when we visited the states, and I think that everybody uh, who follows Jesus ha um, is a theologian if they have thoughts about. God, Father, Son, Spirit, I think that qualifies you as a theologian. Now, how far you go with that, um, it's kind of not up to you, but I think it is part of discipleship. I think as you grow in discipleship, you become a, a stronger theologian, and you're able to understand doctrine, as in what are the essential beliefs of Christianity over the over the, over the uh the period of church history, 
and and then also including and uh, the Jewish ancestry as well. And so I think a resident theologian then um, is what every pastor is because a pastor shapes the theology of their people. But this is a larger church, so to be to 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 end, I'm you know, I'm only you know doing this, not even really part time, just kind of, not not ad hoc. No, as I'm, needed. As needed. There we go. And I think the idea is for me to just help people to think theologically. Um, and so I'm reading a lot of stuff, and I read a lot of books, articles, and whatnot. And so I feel like if people, Christians, followers of Jesus at the church, um have questions about the faith and doctrine and how that informs their discipline, as in their actions. Um, I wondered if I could just be a sounding board for these people with their questions and to help them process theology, uh, to give them confidence in theology, so that they will not only think theologically, but what we say, live sacramentally missional. In, 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 in other words, let their theology inform their action, like what their thoughts about God. If, if you know, you start there and ask questions, and let it, and let the Spirit shape you uh, in that, in that questioning, and that guiding, and that forming. And I think you'll get to, you know, what you believe about doctrine. And of course, we base our doctrine off the Scriptures, from the Scriptures, in the Scriptures, with the Scriptures. And so, a lot of times, I think. Um, not a lot of times, I think. I just wonder if sometimes, you know, our beliefs are only and solely shaped by a pastor's sermon, and we never take the deep dive ourselves and get into Scripture. And I think that's really important for every follower of Jesus. So I've spent the last four minutes explaining what I don't know what I'm doing. Hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Think you know what you're doing? I don't know if I know what I'm doing. Well... I don't think anyone really knows what they're doing until they've done it. There's a quote. Put it on a bumper sticker. Mm. Make it a sermon. No. Yeah. So I feel, I think I just said thrill. <laughs> well, you've kind of made words up. I think you said Bristol, Bristol a while ago. So, you know. Bristol. So, I don't know. I'm trying to, you know, I had a... I had a potential conversation with somebody who was, um, well, uh, what I what I really see myself doing is serving the staff in particular, um, just being, you know, there for them if they have questions about theology, and just you know submitting, you know, myself to them, uh, whatever questions they may have, and maybe I can introduce them to a to a, a church father, you know, ancient church father. Um, or a John Wesley sermon, or just a period of church history, or just another author, another scholar, and, and say, you know, maybe read this and to help think about what you're kind of working through or whatever. Uh, because I think I think um, a church without you know definitive doctrine is um, is a is a really not scary. But it, it, it could be potentially dangerous because then it gives, if, you don't have, if we don't know our doctrine 
and not expecting that every church member or follower of Jesus will just wake up and know all doctrine. But if we don't have a way of of our leaders processing uh, and thinking about doctrine and theology, uh, it kind of opens up the the realm for uh, a really weak interpretation, and 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 honestly, it could also open up the um, uh, interpretation of of building upon a building a theology on, on experience only. And I think there's a we have to be really careful with building a theology on experience, yeah. kind of in what we feel, especially in this culture, and especially in this on this side of of uh, 2020, where feelings are very important um, in our culture, uh, in the Western culture, and how we feel, and we we base a lot of our decisions off of how we feel, and if we base theology and doctrine. Uh, which is you know which is built upon centuries of the church shaping these things out uh, and forming these things out in councils and covenants and confessions and, and things like that. If we just if we if we just build a theology a present theology on what we feel in church or how we feel, then we're really building a theology of ourselves. And building a faith on ourselves, and we can't, and that's just not that's not theology. But theology is so much deeper than that, and I I claim no professional <laughs> theology, you know, degree or whatever. Um, I also don't claim to be the the head theologian or the lead theologian or the smartest theologian at this church or any church. I just am in the season of where I am gifted the opportunity to research and read and to think and to come across sources. And I feel like the best way I can serve the church right now is to offer myself to the leaders and um, and just help them think theologically. Did I ramble enough? Yeah. So, if there is a pastor or a ministry leader who wants a safe space to be able to ask hard theological questions or maybe questions that they think that they should know as a pastor, which most of the time us pastors don't know anything. Um, But we also have this mindset that we have to know everything. So even when we do ask difficult questions, Yeah, we just feel guilty to even ask those questions. So, if there was a pastor out there, or a ministry leader out there, or even just a normal disciple of Jesus out there, wanted to ask a deep question, theologically, or getting, basically, them understanding more about God. Like, if they wanted to ask you that question, Mm -hmm. like, how can they best go about sending you those questions? Since we live across the seas, and maybe most of our listeners are maybe back in the states, um, like how how can they get in touch with you if they have a difficult question? Um, if you go to one eight hundred, call one eight hundred Crabtree Resident Theologian Jonathan <laughs> Crabtree. I will pick RTC. right up. RTC. RT no. Okay. RTC. Resident Theologian Crabtree. Uh, That's what you said. I didn't say RTC. <laughs> no, I just trying to do an acronym. Yeah, well. So, and for reals, 
For reals? For reals. I just totally did a teenager m- moment there. But uh, I would assume that they would just contact me on social media. Okay. Social media. You're on Facebook. Yeah. You're on Twitter. What's your Twitter account? I don't know. I don't ever, I don't ever tweet. Seriously? Yeah. I just re- No, I just read tweets. That's uh, all. <laughs> you're I one of those people. I don't even know. If, <laughs> I don't even know what my Twitter handle is. Do you even know what your Instagram is? No, I don't even know what that is anymore. I think it's J. Crabtree. J. Cray? <laughs> 88, I think. Obviously, social media is not the best way to contact us, or Jonathan specifically, um, because he doesn't know his own contact Apparently, information. Apparently, <laughs> this is exposing a lot of <laughs> hidden gaps in well, my, know, in my availability to yeah, people. Yeah, that's right. So, you have an email that works really good. Yeah, I don't want to post it on the podcast. Why not? It's an email. <laughs> yeah. It's 21st century email. Just go to our website. Okay, there you go. Amongstthetable.com. No, just e- just email me. Okay, email. Actually, it's just really simple, guys. It's his name. If P- if I start getting spam, <laughs> from, especially if I get spam from like I mean, if church organizations, there and they're the like, internet. hey, we want you to, we, what, do you know how to do bulletins? We're going to give you a 10% off deal. And if you I start can getting... say, I don't know who you're trying to reach because I am talking about theology, not learning how to print Waste paper on a bulletin. Anyways, that's a whole other ballgame or another conversation. Jonathan, not with an H, with an N, Joe Nathan, dot A, dot Crabtree, at gmail.com. I feel so exposed. Well, I mean, welcome to the digital world. Okay, jonathan.a.crabtree. If you have any theological questions that you want to ask and to be safe, there will be no judgment um, there will be just a nice dialogue. He's a great listener. Um, he will let you ramble on forever and get all your blabbles. Is that a word? Blabble? It is now. Blabble, <laughs> blabbles out. Um, and yeah, he can answer any question that you have. Or if he doesn't answer it, guess what? He's a full-time researcher and can find the answer. So that's what he is. Um, oh, I had a question for you. Oh, you said while well ago that, you know, one of the things that you could offer to people would be, like, different type of spiritual writers throughout the history. Yeah. If you could, off the top of your head, someone who is very new to faith, not mm-hmm. old to faith, but very new to faith, just got a Bible, mm-hmm. just barely even knew the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. If you were to give them a spiritual writer, mm-hmm. what would it be? I wouldn't give them a spiritual writer offhand. Okay. But I would tell them to, if they were going to start reading the Bible, mm-hmm. I would read Gospel of John, found mm-hmm. the New Testament, read a chapter every day for the next 21 days to to deter, um, to develop a habit of reading. Mm-hmm. After 21 days, you will have developed it, more than likely a habit of reading. It takes 10 or so minutes. Mm-hmm. Then I would just continue reading through the other gospels, or just continue reading, um, just through the through the scriptures in that way. And then I would begin to think about prayer uh, and how you pray, and, and start adding that element into your to your reading of scripture. And after, and then as you do that over the twenty one days, uh, then I would encourage them to get some some sort of a prayer journal or a journal, and write down the date. Write down what scripture you read, and simply write down things you'd like to pray about uh, in your prayer time, uh, or 
questions or even thoughts or observations or comments that kind of come up, even if they feel new or they feel like not wrong, but they're like, I don't know if I know an answer to this, or they feel kind of uncomfortable writing these observations. That's not the point of trying to figure out the answer to it that day. The point is to get into a habit of, of having a conversation with the Holy Spirit through God's Word. And that takes time and takes practice. Well done. All right, so here's my next question. If you were to speak to a, let's just say, experienced pastor, whatever that means, um, and you were to offer them up a, a spiritual writer that they maybe never have heard of, what that would they, it be? That they've never heard of? That more than likely they've never heard of. So, like... Don't say Eugene Peterson. Most everybody knows Eugene Peterson because he wrote the Message Bible. Um, yeah, any other, like, maybe some newer spiritual writings that you have come across? Or, off the top of your head, just one that's been beneficial to you? Um, I think one that was beneficial to me was, if you start, especially for those in the Methodist, pan-Methodist Wesleyan world, um, if you start to dig into John Wesley's writings, you'll realize very quickly that majority of his work, he just copied it from other people. <laughs> he really offers, he offers very little to the world, which is kind of funny. And I'm not, you know, um, I'm not. What's the word I'm looking for? I'm not, no I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to put a hammer on John Wesley. Of course, I'm studying him. That's what my PhD <laughs> is about. But it's just funny because he gets a lot of credit for stuff that he didn't write. Mm. And I think if I were to encourage a, a seasoned pastor to read something, I would encourage the seasoned pastor to read whatever it is in the historical context. So... Say, say for instance, if you were, if the if the historic, you know, the seasoned pastor is really interested in early church writings, I think it's really beneficial to understand what was going on contextually, not just um, in the writing itself, but in what could have developed and what was developing worldwide in the church and culture and in culture that that kind of helps you get into into that into that re, into that writer's mind and world as opposed to saying i've got this feeling i knew that was coming <laughs> i've got this feeling or i've got culture or i've got mainstream media culture telling me i should think in this way and and you go to the text and you read it in that way you do the sir you do the the work um the work of the writings the writers a disservice hmm. by reading our 21st century what we what we want it to say because mm. no matter what we're going to come to the conclusion we're going to make it say whatever we want it to say at the very end of it so so for instance uh, um, Thomas uh, Matthew Mead I'm sorry Matthew Mead um, he wrote uh, the almost Christian um, and then he wrote it. Uh, Matthew Mead wrote The Almost Christian, and that's where John Wesley really bases a lot of his sermon, The Almost Christian, on. And so I read the actual text from uh, Matthew Mead, 
think it was in the 16th century, I think. Must right. have been, because I don't even know who Matthew Mead is. Well, no one would know who he, who he was. Exactly. Um, and I don't. And, and the thing is, is you know, so, so I'm, I'm taking John Wesley's The Almost Christian, understanding the 18th century context in England, and then taking the 16th century text when, you know, the lot was going on uh, culturally in England and politically in England um, with the Reformation happening and the reshaping of of church life and political life and who was the authority over the church and who was the authority over culture, it was, you know, the, or the society. Um, this guy, Matthew Mead, wrote, wrote the, the Almost Christian, and it's about— <laughs> It's it's it, it it's a lot <laughs> to unpack. It actually took me several weeks to work my way through it because it's old English, and so you have to kind of interpret some of the letters. And I wrote tons of notes on it, like several thousands of words, really several thousand words on on notes on on what he said. But I take that and those observations, the questions and thoughts that I have, and I think if I were to kind of dig into Matthew Mead a little bit more and kind of understand what was shaping his thoughts at that time, it would help me understand exactly what he's written. Maybe people do this naturally. Maybe I'm just making no sense at all, but I I would just, I would not want a a seasoned pastor to have the pressure and the tension of a culture that wants that pastor to say what they want them to say by going to a text and making it say what they want it to say. What they want it to say, even if even if in, with good intentions, even with the best intentions. So that's what I would say. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, so your next podcast is going to be all your notes on Matthew Mead. I doubt right? that. <laughs> what? That sounds really neat. Um, okay. Okay, well, we'll see. I'll get it, I'll get it in order. Um, yeah, okay. So, again, recap. Resident theologian. Yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. In the midst of your full-time research. Yeah. And if people have any hard questions that they want to ask you, they can send it to your email, which we've already said. We can put it also in the comments. Um, is that comments? Is that a thing? No, not in podcast. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I will say, and to encourage you, the those who are listening, that no question is too dumb and no question will be judged at all. I'm pretty sure the God of the universe who created all things can handle your question. Pretty sure that happens. But that also goes for like non-believers too. Like yeah. I, I'm, oh, I any welcome, non-believers, yeah. I really welcome mm. those kind of questions too because it helps me articulate mm-hmm. what I believe. True. Not not I, I don't not I'm not into this apologetic crap. Sorry, that's probably offended a lot of people, but and apologetics is good. <laughs> <laughs> but Let me when, go back and say that. <laughs> but but and and so what I'm what I'm saying is is when apologetics becomes this, def, like this, um, how do I word this? When it becomes such a defense, like oh well, I am smarter than the non-believer, and I can prove that God is real by this by this argumentation. It kind of exerts uh, uh, what I call like an epistemological authority on someone, and what that means is the way that we access information shows that I know more about it than you do. Therefore, you are dumber than me, and you should submit to my authority. Now, a lot of people don't do that, but 
apologetics can come off like to that. If you're talking to a non-believer and your sole purpose is just to try to convince them to become a Jesus on the basis of your argumentation that God is real, mm-hmm. in this culture, it's not going to get you very far with a non-believer, in my sure opinion. Sure, in my culture, my teenage days. Sorry, well, everybody. And, and it's just not in this culture. Now, what I'm, what I, what I'm not saying <laughs> is that we, as the church— don't need to, you know, know. I've already. I mean, this would be. This would sounds like it's contradictive, but it's not. What I'm saying is, is if if we just go out and stand on the street corner and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell who who doesn't believe in Jesus or who, you know, whatever. Well, here's here's how you can believe that he's real. Now, God might do something through that. I'm not. I don't doubt that he could and would. But this culture is changing, and this culture is is highly valuing authentic relationship. And because we're because we're connect we're connecting again, and after a couple of years of not connecting on a regular basis, it has it has affected us so much that we need to be in communi- communication and in community with people. And so apologetics, then, if done for the purpose solely for the purpose solely for the purpose of immediate conversion, we're going to miss a lot of opportunities to develop deep, meaningful relationships with people who need to be heard and need to be felt and need to be seen first. And that's that's what God came to do, is to become incarnate. He became real. He became physical flesh. And he sat with people like Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. He sat with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and whoever you want to list down the, down the list at the table with them. And he was the life of the party. But he came to be in flesh with them. And he did, he did, but the thing is, he, he talked to Pharisees and the people who knew the law, you know, that's who he really did apologetics with half the time, it that's seemed, true. you know, and then the poor, he fed them, and then he told us to feed them, and then those, and then he healed people, and then he proclaimed the good news, the gospel, of, his gospel, the gospel of Jesus, that the captive could be free, the lame could walk, the blind could see, all those things. And I think apologetics, when done properly, <laughs> very English of you, is done in a context of a relationship with someone you can trust, and they'll listen to you. But when it's done for the sole purpose, well, of immediate conversion, in this culture, I don't think it works anymore. I'm I'm happy to be to be wrong on that, but I don't think that's the case anymore. So yeah. So what was the question? I don't even know. But you're sounding bored. And you welcome all questions, non-believers, believers, seasoned believers, whatever you want Oh, yeah, to that's yourself. right, because yeah. I want people... Because, yeah, you want non-believers to also ask questions, like... And I think that's a way of of teaching them about the Christian faith sure. and, and maybe clearing up some things that maybe they don't understand that that they've been told and that they've seen and they've already come to a conclusion that Christianity is bad. Judgmental. Uh, you know, yeah, judgment, all these things, and maybe if... So I welcome those conversations because I just want people to know that Jesus loves them. That's all, and that always welcome. That always brings about life transformation. And that might sound scary to somebody who's never known what those words mean. So that doesn't. <laughs> our relationship won't begin that way. But to, but to know up front that I welcome all questions, no matter where you are in your faith journey or no faith journey, because at the end of the day, I'm I'm hoping that that my 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 love for humanity and my love for the church will be shown in, in my patience of listening to questions and saying, look, it's okay to question. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to make observations and to wonder 
what or who or how, where is God and all of that. Because that to me is a sign that God is already at work in the heart of a person. So. Yeah. So if you have a question, send it to his email. I guarantee you he will sit with you. He will journey with you and all will be well. So I think that's it. Yes, so that's our podcast for today. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we look forward to next week's Matthew Mead episode. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) All right, goodbye, everyone. Bye. What? Well, thanks for listening in to the Amongst the Table podcast. We hope today's content has been helpful and hopeful for you, and we hope that you'll use it to share Amongst the Table for change amongst the world. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. All of our content on our website is available for free, and it's brought to you by the listener and supporter. I met it on the Bristol from London, St. James. Got a ticket for a train ride, gonna ride it all the way. I think I hear those seagulls calling all my name. That western skies are singing, nothing like the same. Though I'm not from around here, it always feels like home. Crystal might be short-lived, but she sure is home.